0: Praise in the end. It's kind of a bold assertion from Sam Smith, the the artist that wrote that song. Everybody prays in the end. You know, it's interesting to think about the amount of people, you know, watching this right now, wherever you're at, uh, will listen to this on a podcast or something along those lines, but to realize that most of us would pray at some point in our journey. It's just part of our story. And there's lots of reasons for that that I want to get into. But I do want to speak to those of you that might be the exception. You know, you, you, you see this, everyone prays in the end, you're like, but that's not me. That's not me. I'm a skeptic. You know, I'm an atheist. I'm a little bit concerned even with what religion is doing to people. And, and for you and your story, you know, you think about prayer as something that might actually be a little bit odd or, or ridiculous or even dangerous at times. And so, so for you, when you think about prayer, you actually think about uh, some of the people that rail against it. And so, you know, you read some of the new atheists, maybe like Sam Harris, uh, who wrote in a letter to a Christian nation, he wrote this quote about prayer. He said, the president of the United States, presumably at the time, was George W. Bush, has claimed on more than one occasion to be in dialogue with God through prayer. If he said that he was talking to God through his hairdryer, This would precipitate a national emergency. I fail to see how the addition of a hairdryer makes the claim more ridiculous or offensive. And And that's your story. You think, oh my goodness, this is so odd that people would talk into an empty room, except that the majority of us have experienced, have tried prayer. And for you, and I don't know your story, I don't know exactly where you came from or, or, or what precipitated the kind of the, the prayer, but oftentimes it kind of falls into some, some common things. I've been in ministry for a while and oftentimes it's, it's people that take a step and try prayer. They try prayer and usually in a couple of, of, of different kind of, of ways. And so maybe this is your story. If you think back, no matter what you believe about God, it doesn't matter. At some point you may have looked up and tried prayer before and maybe for you, it was a cry for help. Maybe you were in a situation, maybe you were driving, maybe it was uh, with a, a, a person that was in your world and you just closed your eyes and cried out for help in a situation that you couldn't control. Maybe for you it was a little bit different. Maybe it was actually you were praying for a miracle. You knew somebody that was in the hospital. You knew somebody that was needing something dramatic to happen. And so you reached out and were praying for an absolute miracle to take place that nobody would expect would happen. And and this was your long shot, your Hail Mary, your prayer that there would be something miraculous happen. Maybe it was something different. Maybe for you it was direction. You know, you're a grade 12 student and you're trying to figure out like, what university do I go to in the middle of this pandemic? How do I make plans for my future? What job should I take? Is it worth making the move? And so, so you reach out and hope that there would be a God who would give you a sign or explain something or, or, or just reveal himself. And so you could know the direction that you're supposed to take. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your prayer is a little bit different. Maybe it's a plea. Maybe it's a plea for a parking space at Christmas time as the parking lots are completely full and you just reach out and are like, man, God, if you could give me that parking space, that'd be great. Maybe it's a a plea for something like uh, safety as you're traveling. Maybe it's a plea for as you're watching the police officer come up to the car that he would be lenient with you, but you make a plea for something. Or maybe for you, your prayers are a little bit more, uh, maybe more current. Maybe you experience more of like a mindfulness thing. You know, you've got an app and and you're trying to be more centered. And so it's kind of like prayer. And so you, you give it a shot, but but it kind of falls into this category of mindfulness. Or maybe for you, it's meditation. You know, you actually want to take time where you can, you know, get the thoughts out of your mind and try and focus on something different. And that's your prayer experience. For me, my name's Jeremy, if we haven't met before. And if we have, my name is still Jeremy. Uh, but I've been in ministry for uh, just over a decade. I've been a professional Christian, actually, most of my life because I went to university to become a pastor. And then I've been in ministry for the last decade. And, and prayer is something really challenging for me to talk about because it's convicting for me as I think about my own prayer life and my own prayer journey. You see, I've had incredible seasons of prayer, but I've also had lots of seasons where prayer was absent from my life. I've had seasons where my prayers were really embarrassing. In fact, I've prayed for some things, and, uh, and maybe you could relate. Uh, I have things I've prayed for. It's a little bit ridiculous, but I have prayed for Lost Keys. Uh, and, and, and surely, God has bigger and better things to do than to help me find my keys, and yet I try to convince him that this is a priority, and this is something that you know, would be worthwhile for him to sort out i 've prayed for friends in hospital, which, which should be something that is is reasonable you know there 's somebody who 's struggling, and, and I lift them up in prayer but i 've also prayed for things like uh, car batteries, um, in, in particular the car battery in my car. I'm thinking about a road trip my wife and I took before we had kids, but she was very pregnant. Uh, and and we ended up on uh, a highway, upstate New York, and our battery flashed that it was officially not going to charge. The alternator was gone. And so we had one last battery, and I was praying so hard that God would somehow miraculously infuse that battery to get us to the town. Uh, and And and, and, and we didn't actually. We ended up with the car dying on the side of the road with my pregnant wife as the sun's coming down. And so I started praying more for uh, safe travels uh, as something that I prayed often for uh, because obviously, as you head, head out on the road, um, lots of things can happen. And so that's something that I've prayed for. But I've also prayed for things like uh, money. You know, in seasons where there hasn't been a lot of money, prayed that God would provide uh, things for for myself and for my family. And and I've also prayed for uh, turning cheesecake into broccoli uh, in my, you can't see, but in my stomach. Um, so you eat the cheesecake and it's an interesting kind of prayer. Uh, I don't think it's... Work, but I don't necessarily know the answer to that—that uh, that it would turn into something healthy uh, in my stomach. So, so my prayers have been all over the map, and that's been a part of my journey, and, and maybe that's been a part of your journey too. In fact, for you, it can be challenging as you think about the things that you pray for and the moments that you try to reach out to know what's actually happening. Like, is—is is there? As is you pray to this invisible God, like—is—is is he hearing anything here? Is he—is he, is he going to answer the prayers? Am I saying the right words? Do I need to change my posture? Do I need to to speak out loud or can can he hear my thoughts? Is Is he actually going to do something because of this time I'm spending in prayer? And so it's fascinating that a couple thousand years ago, we actually have an account where the people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples who were spending time watching his ministry unfold, they watched the time that Jesus of Nazareth actually was spending in prayer and as he wrapped up one day, one of his disciples came over to him and he said, Jesus, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? Could you teach us to pray? Because prayer wasn't an odd thing in those days. It was actually very common. You know, all sorts of people prayed to all sorts of different gods. There was lots of different prayer practices and ways that people would attempt to communicate with this higher power, much like our day today." But, but here was somebody that was clearly someone unique, this Jesus who would become and, and, and clearly uh, the Messiah for all people, who would die on the cross for people's sins. And, and in his earthly ministry, his disciples were like, my goodness, why not ask the most important question? How can we communicate with God, Jesus? Because you've done it and we want to learn from you. Now, the interesting thing is that if you are a skeptic, if you are someone who's, who's not quite sure about what you actually believe, the fascinating thing about Jesus is there were all sorts of people who actually followed him and experienced and tried out some of the things that he spoke about and talked about without ever fully believing that he was who he said he was. And so today, as we talk about prayer, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, the, the great thing is, is that you can actually try out these things, these experiences, this prayer that we're going to walk through without even believing all the things that I believe, without believing all the things that are in the scriptures and the Bible, you with all the skepticism and doubts that you have, that's totally fine. We're glad that you're here. You're in a perfect spot for your doubts, your questions, your skepticisms. But I think, I think fascinatingly enough, in the same way that 2,000 years ago, people with doubts and skepticisms kind of went along for the ride with Jesus to see if he was actually real, if he would actually do something dramatic in their life, you can do that exact same thing. And so as we walk through this particular prayer, my hope is that at the end, that you would actually consider, even without fully believing in a higher power, that you might reach out and try out this prayer that Jesus is going to teach his disciples. And in turn, that he would be actually teaching us. Now, this prayer is, uh, is a very common one. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is found in two passages of scripture. It's in Luke's gospel account and then also in Matthew's gospel account. Matthew was one of the eyewitnesses to the Jesus narrative, the Jesus story. He was one of the disciples, he was with Jesus. And so Matthew took notes and kept track of the things that were going on throughout that ministry. And over time, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, Matthew actually was passing along these stories to the early Christians, to the point that, that they got written down and translated over the years to the point that we can now read Matthew's words of this New Testament account, this, this incredible story of Jesus. So Matthew, as an eyewitness, is going to write and tell us about this prayer that Jesus taught. Now, this prayer is important for a couple of key reasons, and I, and I want to share this with you. The Lord's Prayer actually gives us a window into Jesus' mission here on earth. So this prayer is something that is actually going to expand, I think, our view of who Jesus was and what he was trying to accomplish. But not only that, it gives us a sense for what it would look like for us to be captured by Jesus's mission. If we as people, and if you're listening and you're a Christian, this is is important, this is essential for us, that we would be called and captured by the mission that Jesus has, that this is something that we're going to experience and, and see throughout the Lord's prayer. So, without further ado, from Matthew chapter 6, you're welcome to follow along. Um, We're going to start, and these are Jesus' words as he answers the question, how do you pray? He says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, and already you're thinking, I know the hypocrites. We don't want to be like hypocrites. Hypocritical things are exactly why so many people are frustrated about the church and frustrated about Christians. So he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. What do they do? They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by Others. Now, the truth is, is that standing in front of people or praying in public is not bad. There's a lot of practices throughout the Jewish faith that is, is, is involving a public prayer. And then also in the early church, people who follow Jesus would pray publicly. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen. It's the motive of in the hearts of these hypocrites, to be seen by others. And so Jesus actually explains what happens when you pray just to be seen by others. Next verse, he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This idea that if you pray for public accolades, if you pray just so that people could hear you and think that you're overly religious, they probably will, but that's all that you're gonna get out of that prayer Experience And so before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches us first how not to pray. Instead, here's how you should pray. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, your father being God himself. Pray to your father who is unseen, the invisible God. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And what a better reward to receive something from God himself than just from the public praise of the people around us. So first thing to note is to make sure that we don't pray like the hypocrites for just the reward of hearing other people think that, or seeing other people uh, see us as religious and, and, and being really nice about prayer, okay? Next thing he says, and this is another caution. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling, babbling, interesting word, I do like that word choice, like pagans or Gentiles in some translations, for they think they'll be heard because of their many Words And you kind of think like, okay, Jesus, what's wrong with babbling? Like, in, in parts of the scripture, we're actually told that we should pray without ceasing. You know, praying often or praying a lot could come across maybe like babbling. And so, so what's wrong with, with babbling, Jesus? And he says, um, do not be like them because for your father knows what you need before you ask him. See, the pagan thing about babbling is that, that the pagans were actually praying, thinking that if they could pray a specific way, if they could say the right words, that they could actually twist God's arm and make him do their bidding, almost like a genie in a bottle. And I don't know about you, but, but I've been convicted by this because there have been times in my prayer life where I'm trying to, to make a deal with God or trying to say the right words or, or do the right things or convince him that if he comes through in this instance, then I'll do X, Y, and Z, which would surely be helpful and beneficial for you, God. But what Jesus is saying is that, that that's actually not what, prayer is about. The prayer isn't a set of of clear lines that you say in order that God would do something for you. And it's wrong kind of on on, on two accounts. And these accounts are really important. It's wrong on two accounts. Number one, you can't manipulate God. Your prayers aren't there to manipulate God into doing something for you. But more importantly, number two, is you don't need to manipulate God. You see, God is a good father who loves to give Good gifts to his children. In the New Testament, we read about how this good father, if someone reaches out and asks him for bread, would never give a stone in return. You see, God is actually out for our benefit and for our good. And so if you're thinking, I, I've not prayed because I'm nervous about what I did last week, you know, I could never pray right now because, because last night I did something, or I could never pray because, because, gosh, I'm so embarrassed about this thing that I'm keeping hidden. All of those things are, are the incorrect, wrong things to hold on to that keep you from praying because God is actually out for your good. He's not out to get you. He's this good father that is inviting us into community and relationship with him, and it's the pagans who think they have to do a specific thing in this formula in order for God to work. But God is like, no, I'm actually desperate to be a part of your life in good ways. So let's have a real conversation and a real relationship. And the fascinating thing, and if, you, if you've tuned out or, it, you know, if, if there's a lot going on in wherever you're watching, just hit pause for a second because this next line is, I think, the most essential thing I want us to take away from today. And that's this, that prayer... That prayer actually changes the prayer, the person that prays. Prayer, when we pray, it actually changes the person praying, it changes us. This idea that we would pray to to convince God to do something different or or to adjust things in in His realm or world is is actually a little bit farther from what the goal of prayer actually is. Prayer transforms and changes our hearts, that's why it's so powerful. Because our hearts, and you know this, but, but my heart and your heart is not pure all the time. You know that your heart and your mind get you in trouble all the time. If you could grapple with your own uh, desires, if you could actually hold on to uh, things that, you know, wander around in your mind and get a hold of them, you would be much better off. And, and this fascinating thing is that as we pray... That it actually changes and transforms us. That's the power of it. Prayer changes the prayer. And as we discover from this Lord's Prayer, this is an invitation that Jesus is making for each and every one of us to be transformed and changed as we look to Him. So before we get into the actual Lord's Prayer, He gives us a few heads up. So remember the first one don't seek public recognition. Public recognition for your prayers, if you do that, that's all that you will get. So that's caution number one. And then second thing, don't assume you can manipulate God into doing what you want because you don't need to. He already wants to do good things for you. So with those two cautions in mind, Jesus goes on and then now teaches us how to pray. This then is how you should pray. This is how you should pray, not what you should pray. Now, interestingly enough, the Lord's Prayer is actually a prayer that's been repeated for thousands of years, generations and generations of Christians all around the world. It's been prayed in tiny little hidden house churches that are persecuted. It's been prayed in big platforms and stadiums. It's been prayed for years and years and years. However, and that's totally good, that's fine, but what Jesus is inviting us to is not just a, a what to pray, He's inviting us to learn how to pray the model for prayer, the framework for prayer that we actually can use throughout the rest of our prayers throughout our life. So if you're listening, if you're watching, and you're thinking about your own personal prayers, this Lord's Prayer is a great place to start. You can pray the Lord's Prayer as a part of your own journey over the next few weeks. However, you can also take the principles that we're going to learn from this prayer and apply it and remember it as you're able to pray all sorts of different prayers as God leads and guides you. All right, so here is the Lord's Prayer. It starts with one word, our, our. Now, this is an important word because what Jesus is inviting us into isn't necessarily a personal prayer. Now, interestingly for a lot of us, when we pray, and even his instructions earlier, which can be a little bit confusing, his instructions earlier were to pray not for public recognition. And yet, Jesus starts this prayer with actually a plural pronoun, this idea that our Father, we're going to pray all together for our Father. Father. He invites people in community to pray together. And if you've been a part of uh, of our church for any length of time, you've heard us talk a lot about things like small groups. And it's because we know and recognize that if you want to grow spiritually, you have to be connected relationally. That throughout the scriptures, there are all sorts of examples about how when you want to connect with God, it can't just be you and God. That you actually have to invite his community, his church, to be a part of your spiritual journey. And so right from the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we learn that this prayer is actually an invitation to community in prayer. Now, again, not to say you can't pray it on your own. This is totally fine. However, it's fascinating that he wouldn't say, when you pray, pray my Father in heaven, but instead says our, our Father, our Father, now, it's hard for us to totally grasp the, the gravity of using Father in a prayer to the Lord Almighty, but let me just try to unpack it a little bit for us, because again, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was actually speaking these words to his disciples, people were often used to calling the gods by extravagant, big, large, powerful names. They were the gods that required sacrifices. They were the gods that required so much of people, and they were very removed from The human experience. And yet, this Christian God, this invisible God, is a God who's intimately aware of our needs, our desires, the things that are going on in our life. This God cares deeply about us to the point that when we pray to this God, we can address this God actually as Father, one of the most close relationships that you could imagine. And so, Jesus kind of breaks through this assumption that, that prayer is meant to to be something that is so far removed from our experiences and instead invites us to pray to God as if he's in the room with us and someone that we can know intimately. But it's because he knows us intimately and Jesus has made the way that we can address the God of the universe as our father. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we pray our father in heaven that although it's an intimate relationship, we actually pray knowing and recognizing and honoring the fact that God is in heaven and that he is all-powerful, that he is the God of the universe who was there when it all began. He knows everything, he can see everything, and he can do anything. And so our God, the one that we pray to, is more powerful than we can possibly imagine. So we pray, our Father in heaven, this transcended experience, transcendence, and also this intimate thing that we have to hold together to, and make that, that tension exist as a part of our prayers to recognize that as much as God cares deeply about the things in our life, that he is still the all-powerful God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is translated a number of different ways in other translations. I like this because if you've grown up in church world, this is perhaps the version that you've heard spoken before. And if we were to do a little quiz in the chat right now uh, on Facebook or YouTube, how many people use hallowed in your regular everyday language? The answer is nobody. Uh, It is kind of like a dead word. And oftentimes when we have scriptures that use a word that we don't use in, in regular discourse anymore, we would adjust it. But I like this word because it actually uh, causes us to to do a little bit of digging of what it means for for God's name to be hallowed. And so this is, I I think it's kind of a fascinating journey. If this is a little bit of a bore to you, I am sorry. You're gonna have to come with me anyways. It's gonna be all right though, okay? I wanna show you three verses of scripture from the Old Testament. And the fascinating thing about these three verses is that when they were translated, the Old Testament um, wasn't written in Greek, but it was translated into Greek for the first century. Uh, Christian, or not Christian, sorry, but the first century Jews. And so the Septuagint is these Old Testament texts. You know, you think about Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus is where we're going. And so it was translated into Greek. And so what you can do is you can actually take the, uh, the translation of Matthew, the original language is Greek, and you can find this word hallowed, and you can see it in Greek, and then you can find it existing in other parts of the Old Testament. And for the the first century readers that are reading the story of Jesus as Matthew would write this down and share it with the early church and and share it with people that were coming to faith in Jesus for the very first time, as they read this word in prayer, they would remember and think back to its use around the Old Testament passages if they were Jews and that was a part of their their tradition, of course. And so I want to read you these these verses because it actually helps us understand the power of this word hallowed. So let's go to Leviticus um, chapter 18. It says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. Terrible thing. Um, Crazy what is actually in the Bible if you dig in. For you must not profane. And this is a different, this is the same word used in a different context, all in the exact opposite. So must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not give any of your children this directive to the people of Israel for you must not profane. The idea being that if you would give your children in sacrifice to this false God, that that would, that action would profane the name of God. Okay, second one, Leviticus 22. Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name for I must be acknowledged as holy. Same word use as hallowed. Uh, same word used here profane as hallowed by the Israelites, so keeping my commandments and following them uh, again, the assumption that keeping those commandments is the thing that might keep god 's name holy and if and if they didn 't would profane his name. last example. Here in Amos, they trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. A massive, if you've ever actually looked through the Old Testament, there's this incredible stream of, of focus that, that God actually invites his people to be the kind of people that fight for those who can't fight for themselves, to, to actually chase after justice and to rescue the oppressed. That's our calling right from the Old Testament. And so uh, uh, they deny justice to the oppressed and so profane my holy name. The act of doing these things Profane the name of God. And so it begs the question, who is it that hallows or profanes God's name? Who is it? Well, the answer is it's, it's us. It's those that bear the name of God. The people who bear God's name are the ones that either hallow his name or profane his name. So when we pray, hallowed be your name in the Lord's prayer, we're actually praying that our lives would be as such that we would be honoring to the name of God, that we would do the things that would keep his name as holy. It's an invitation for us to take action as those that pray this incredibly important prayer. And so all of a sudden, as you think, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is so much weight to this. There is so much heaviness that as we pray, it, we cannot be flipping with it. This is a profoundly Christian prayer that has dramatic impact in our lives if we would take the time to rest in the words that we're actually saying, inviting our own actions to be the things that would honor and make God's name holy in our world today. And so when does this actually all kind of unfold? When does his name become holy? Well, I think it is the hint is in the next line of the prayer that your kingdom would come. Your kingdom Father in heaven, your kingdom come. You become the king of this place that we're in right now. Inviting God's kingdom to come and actually infuse itself into our world today that that Jesus would be the king and reign in this kind of place. And what does that actually look like? What does it look like when the kingdom comes? Well, it's when your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that God's will would actually be accomplished. And, and our prayer in this kind of setting, this, this prayer, invites us to be a part of his will being done in this world. You know, throughout Scripture, we realize that the will of the Father is actually the thing that we're supposed to do as those that bear his name. That if we're Christians, we're not, we're not just simply waiting for God to, to come and boom, change everything. He's actually placed us on purpose. He's put you on purpose where you're at. You're, you think that you ended up in this place because of a transfer for work, or you think you bought that house because it was uh, simply the best deal that you could find, but the answer is actually that God's placed you on purpose, that you are around your neighbors, that you are around your coworkers, that you are raising these kinds of kids on purpose for his purposes, inviting God, his will to actually come onto this earth, and, and you get a chance to play a role in that. And we know this because it wasn't just the only time that Jesus talked about God's will being done. In fact, later on in the Gospel of Matthew, as he gathered around with, again, some of his disciples and some of the people listening, they were talking about his mother. And and Jesus was respectful of his mother in lots of different ways. And we can talk about that uh, maybe tomorrow, uh, drop a line in the the comments, because this might be a little bit harsh sounding. But, But Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was reframing relationships and family around the desire to do God's will because he had come to start a dramatic change in our world. He came to to inaugurate this kingdom reign on earth as it is in heaven, this fascinating thing that, that we actually carry today, that we are meant to bring heaven to this earth. And he talks about it here. In fact, th- throughout the whole New Testament, we learn that doing the will of the father is the mark of faithful discipleship um, throughout this gospel. And so if you've decided to follow Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then your responsibility is to, to actually find out what the will of the father is and then to do it. And it makes a dramatic impact in our world today. Okay, back to the prayer, continuing on. And this is where things kind of shift actually from, from the focus on, on God, His kingdom, and His reign into our needs for our world today. Because it's interesting, eh? if you've ever prayed before, oftentimes our prayers are a list of desires and needs and wants, it's almost like a grocery list. And I, and I really have been guilty of this too. So this is, not, this is honestly as much for me as it probably is for you too. You think, okay, God, um, today what I really need is uh, for my kids to be nice to each other, for them not to hit. Like, can you give us a little bump and pay? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And that's it. And so the model that Jesus has invited us to is actually in our prayers to focus and understand who God is, to reorient our life around what he's wanting to accomplish in our world. And then we still take turn and go back to our own personal needs. But this is how we pray for it. We say, give us today our daily bread. Not give us today our maxed out TFSA. <laughs> it's give us today our daily bread. And, and this meant so much more for the first century because they were so much uh, a, a, a daily bread type of culture. You know, you went to work and you got your money and then you could buy some food and then you would eat the next day, but you'd have to go back to work to get more money so you could buy the food for the next day. And it was a daily kind of thing. If you got sick, if you got injured, it was detrimental because you wouldn't actually have food to eat or feed your family. But with the advent of all of the savings that you can have and refrigerators, oftentimes we miss out on the fact that God still is in the business of providing our daily needs. And if we're not careful, we can quickly forget that he still is needed in providing for us each and every day. And the best example is whenever the power goes out. If you've ever experienced, you know, in one of our ice storms, you know, the power goes out. If it goes for a few days and you actually lose the food in your fridge and grocery stores are closed, you start to realize, oh, this whole system is a little bit, you know, it's, it's not quite solid. If, if the power goes out and it's cold in my house, what am I supposed to do now? And, and, and so quickly you realize we're actually very fragile in our world today, and it's worth considering inviting God to meet our needs each and every day. Um, When I was in university, or just after university, my first first job, when I was working here uh, as a youth pastor at Moncton-Westland, I was uh, living with a bunch of guys. I rented a room uh, in this this house, and we had a, a ton, an absolute ton of meat because We were young 20-something-year-old guys, and that's all we ate. And so we stocked this deep freeze we bought. We didn't buy. We actually picked it up on the side of the road. But we brought in a deep freeze and put it in the basement and stocked it full of meat. And I'll never forget coming back from Christmas vacation uh, and coming in the house and smelling the most foul smell in the world. And being a house full of guys, it wasn't an odd situation to have a foul smell in the house. And so kind of didn't think anything of it immediately. But over time, we're like... And, and over time, I mean like a few hours, maybe a day. We're like, what is that stench? And, uh, and sure enough, we went down to the basement, a couple of us, and found and realized somebody had left the deep freeze open and all of our meat had gone rancid. And and whenever I teach and think about the Lord's Prayer and the need for daily bread, it reminds me that uh, rancid meat is something that we're not too far off from. It takes just a simple mistake or a natural disaster. And, and then we, of course, need the daily bread. Um, it was just, I wanted to share that with you. I think, I hope it's funny. I hope you enjoy uh, my first uh, challenge with living with a bunch of guys. Okay, next, uh, as we're coming in here to the close of this prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, this is Jesus inviting us in, teaching us a model for prayer. And this translation uh, is just a little bit hard to fully follow because of the word debt and debtors. And so instead, uh, a more recent translation says it this way, that we're actually inviting uh, God to forgive our sins. And, uh, and, and there we go, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And so here we are, as Jesus' followers, reminding ourselves that, that we need forgiveness for, for our sins, but that the way of kingdom people, the way of the Christian, is actually to extend that same forgiveness to those that sin against us. And it's actually this transformative kind of forgiveness that can change our world. And and in the Gospel of Matthew, this prayer is sandwiched in the midst of the the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read the sections before after, you realize that the things that Jesus calls us to, the things that he expects of Christians, the things that he says, this is what you used to think was sin, but I'm about to set the bar a lot higher, you realize we have to, we have to invite God to come and to forgive our sins because without that forgiveness, we are completely helpless. And then we use that as a, an opportunity to extend that same forgiveness to those that are around us. And, and of course we know, you know. You know the people, that you have a list of people. They're the people that you have like a couple of lines that you'd like to like give them that, that punch. Those that sin against you. And yet the way of kingdom people, the way of Christians is actually to extend the dramatic forgiveness that the God gives to us to the people that are around us. And then he wraps up the prayer. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And there's lots of conversation about what this actually means. And so again, a more recent translation, this is perhaps what you've heard if you grew up in church or you've heard said, but a more recent way to explain and to understand, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Because temptation is all around us and you've experienced it. You've got incredible regrets or you've got things that you're embarrassed about and they kind of centered around this opportunity that presented itself as a temptation and that you were led into. And so a prayer to help us yield from, uh, to, to not let us yield to that temptation is, is a very real and practical kind of prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer, it ends for a lot of us, if again, you've grown up in church, it ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever." Amen. And, and the truth is, is that over the centuries, that has been the way that as people recite this prayer that they do end it. Just for reference, if you look in your scriptures in your Bible, you'll see that it's a note that it wasn't actually included in the earliest manuscripts. It doesn't make it less true. It's, it's very true that, that, that God's kingdom is powerful and, and we expect it to reign, him reign, to reign forever. But it, just so you know, it's not necessarily there in the earliest of examples from, from Matthew. And so here we go. This is the model for prayer that we have. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to each and every one of us, to take a moment from our daily life of all the busyness that's going on and the stress and the worry, and to take a moment to actually focus our attention on him, to take a moment and to to put our efforts and energy into seeing what God would actually want to have happen in our world today, to invite God to speak to the things that we desperately need, like the practical needs of food every day, but also that he would protect us from the temptations, that he, would invite, that he would give us forgiveness and that we could extend that to the people around us. And so we go back to the beginning where we said that everybody prays, everybody prays in the end, but not everybody prays in a way that's most helpful for them. And so my hope here today is that as you think about your prayer practices, as you think about the times that you actually pray to this higher power, as you look up and you you hope or you you reach out in a time of need, that you would realize that the, the real reason that you pray is that prayer changes the person praying. That prayer will change you. And that's why, over these last couple of weeks, as we've done this series on powerful prayers from Scripture that we've invited you to take a step and to actually to sign up and commit to doing 21 days of time with God. Take a few moments in your day, whether it's you know a few minutes, seven minutes, and to spend some time in the scriptures praying real prayers to this real God. And we know that wherever you're at in your journey, by doing that, by taking that step, that that is gonna have dramatic impacts in your life, that it's gonna change you, that those prayers are actually gonna re. Uh, orient your heart into what God would have for you. And, and I believe, and, and I really do believe this, that it's the absolute best thing that you can do. That whatever you're weighted down by, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling with in this season, that by taking time to actually focus your attention on this God of the universe and allow him to reshape you, that you will experience his love in, in just an incredible kind of way. And so again, just as a reminder, all you need to do is you need to text power to this number. And as the band comes, we're going to, uh, to sing this one last song because as you, if you text this number, what happens is is for the next 21 days, we give you an opportunity each and every day to be encouraged and to be reminded and, and some instruction on, on how to frame up that, that time that you spend with God. But the, the truth is, is that as you, as you spend time with him, he'll start to unpack some new things in your life and in your heart. And my hope is that, as you think about how to actually spend time in prayer, that you would, that you would use something like this model of the Lord's Prayer to change and, and reorient how you interact with this God. And so you're welcome, of course, to use the Lord's Prayer throughout these 21 days. Um, it's all found in, in Matthew 6, so you can, you can dig in there. But oftentimes what I've discovered is that in, in my journey, um, as much as it's great to hear these kinds of truths... Oftentimes, it's the words that we sing or the words that we hear in song that really dig down into our hearts. And, and these words from songs actually are, are, are in our hearts in such a way that they, they are prompted at the times that we need the most. It's weird, eh, how we can remember songs so much faster than other details of our day, and we can sing back these kinds of songs. And so this last song that we're going to sing is actually the Lord's Prayer in song form. And I'd encourage you after, if you, if you love it uh, or if you just realize you need it, um, Hillsong, you can, you can find it. Add it to your playlist. Add it to your Spotify. And let this be a reminder throughout these 21 days or throughout the next week that you can take time and interact with this God of the universe. And he can reshape and reform your life and your world. I'm gonna pray for us here before we sing. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you've made a way that we can... We can talk to you as as you are our Father, and we are your sons and daughters. But also, Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are all powerful in a way that our earthly fathers, of course, could never be. And God, that we can turn to you with simple things like daily bread. And God, we can bring to you some of the biggest things that we can possibly imagine. And they're not scary for you because you know them already. And you wait, hoping that we would be in relationship with you. You want to bring good gifts into our world. And God, you want to bring your kingdom to this earth in such a profound way. And you invite us to it. And so God, I pray that I would be more inclined to spend time with you than ever before this week. And that for everyone listening, no matter where we're at, no matter what our story is, and no matter what our journey is, that we be inclined to take this, these moments this, these next weeks and that you would actually speak to us in profound ways. That somebody listening that is really skeptical would, would see and hear from you in a way that would help them realize and recognize that you are real. God, for somebody that's listening that maybe has been journeying with you for, for decades and yet this has been a dry spell, I pray that you would, you would use this, this time to refresh them in a way that they desperately need to be refreshed. God, for somebody who's listening and and is completely agnostic about all of this, God, I pray that the promptings that would come into their heart, they wouldn't be able to explain, but yet they would know that there's something real about you and that you do care deeply about them. And so God, as we sing this song, I pray that these words would be words that would remind us this week and next month and next year that we can come to you and you will hear our prayers. In Jesus' name.